Welcome to the Nintendo Fusion Podcast, a podcast that fuses past, present, and future Nintendo thought. I'm David, accompanied by my friend Jordan. Now, Jordan, what percentage of Nintendo stock is owned by Skull Kids? Um, all of it. <laughs> I don't know how many, how much. Not quite. The Majora. Oh team. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm getting worse at these puns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe just a little bit, but I, I still think you've got it in you, and I'm just gonna keep doing them until you get at least get one right, and eventually. So. <laughs> Yeah. Keep it going. Keep it going. Well, speak, speaking of Zelda, um, <laughs> we're, we're still pretty. Uh, the Tears of the Kingdom released not too long ago still. Um, it's not time to do a review yet because I am nowhere near <laughs> the end of the game. <laughs> I have beaten the main story, but I am missing a significant number of quests, a significant number of shrines and other types of things. So I'm not ready to talk about it either. There's still so much to do, which is absolutely insane that we've been playing this game for like almost two whole weeks now, and there's still so much to do. Yeah, they oh, definitely put a lot more content in this game compared to Breath of the Wild. Um, I'm just going from shiny to shiny in the overworld. <laughs> <laughs> I've only had time to do one dungeon so far, uh, which is going to be the topic of this episode, because... Um, I got some things to say about <laughs> the, the dungeons in this game. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a bit to talk about. But before you click away and are worried that we're going to talk about spoilers, we will not be spoiling any of the dungeons in this game. We'll talk a little bit about some of their mechanics in particular, like uh, not like the gimmick of the dungeons or any sort of puzzle solving tips and tricks. More like, how does the formula of the dungeon work in this post-Breath of the Wild era of Zelda? That's fair to say, right? Yeah, and it is an era now, um, as quoted by Anuma. Uh, we recently got a quote, it's buckling, it's kind of a long one, um, where he's said in an interview uh, with Ocarina of Time, I think it's correct to say that I did, it did kind of create a format for a number of titles in the franchise that came after it. But in some ways, that was a little bit restricting for us. While we always aim to give the player freedoms of certain kinds, there were certain things that format didn't really afford in giving people freedom. Of course, the series continued to evolve after Ocarina of Time, but I think it's also fair to say now that we've arrived at Breath of the Wild and the new type of more open play and freedom that it affords. Yeah, I think it's correct to say that it has created a new kind of format for the series to proceed from. That was quite a mouthful, Jordan, but I'm proud of you for getting through it. Um, I, but I um, am a bit concerned about yeah, this quote. I don't know how to really feel about it at this point. Because on one hand, the Breath of the Wild era and Tears of the Kingdom era has made the game super accessible for a wider majority of people through its open world mechanics, or I guess as they called it in Breath of the Wild, open air mechanics. Um, the physics engine is incredibly amazing and it allows for all sorts of player freedom. You can go where you want, when you want. There are all sorts of things to do all around the map, especially as we mentioned in Tears of the Kingdom. And it's really nice that players can just do what they want and have fun doing whatever they feel like. You know, you can get lost spending an hour and a half building a particular contraption just to like get over a mountain. And that's still fun and rewarding. On the other hand, though, I really appreciate the old 3D Zelda formula, don't you? Yeah, and I don't want like the Breath of the Wild formula to go away. I'm really enjoying the Breath of the Wild games. I just really wish that they would give Grezzo more freedom to do a new 3D Zelda or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, they even gave us HD Skyward Sword not too long ago. That was very clearly following this formula and honestly followed the formula a little bit tighter than maybe... Wind Waker or uh, Twilight Princess did. So I don't know. It's hard to know what Grezzo is up to at this point because we haven't seen them in a while. Right. Yeah. So maybe they are doing a traditional 3D Zelda game. Um, or are they doing a traditional 2D Zelda game? Yeah, I would take that, too, because it's been a while since we got the last one of those as well. Right. Um, although <laughs> at this worlds. point, I think I'm a bit I think it's safer to say that. 2D Zelda has a higher chance of showing up again than traditional 3D Zelda does. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong about that. <laughs> but anyway, the the Breath of the Wild era, while it has all of those wonderful and amazing freedoms of choice, 
has been really lacking on dungeons themselves. While you do have all of these shrines and all sorts of puzzles all across the map that kind of replace that traditional puzzle solving itch that you get from the traditional 3D and 2D Zelda games, it has also made the like grand spectacle of areas like dungeons kind of fall by the wayside, don't you think? Yeah, this was one of the main complaints um, I heard with Breath of the Wild. It was definitely my biggest complaint. Um, the shrines are fine. They feel like uh, confined playground areas for specific ideas. They don't really feel like dungeons, um, but they're fine as what they are. So I was hoping that we would at least get like four main dungeons uh, throughout the rest of the game. And we had the Divine Beasts, which I don't feel like replace dungeons. They kind of feel like five shrines duct taped together with one central <laughs> mechanic tying them together. Um, yeah, <laughs> they're kind of missing like that epic theming and um, kind of dungeony format to them that we'll get to throughout the rest of the the episode. Um, but that that was definitely one of the one the one of the few disappointments of Breath of the Wild. And so we were hoping like I had my like my list of things I really wanted for Tears of the Kingdom, the three being I wanted caves, I wanted dungeons, and I wanted um, like useful items such as like the hookshot and stuff like that. And we got caves, and I think that they did a phenomenal job with caves. They, they went over and beyond what I expected with them with caves. But I've played through one dungeon now, so maybe the other dungeons are better. <laughs> <laughs> but I was a bit disappointed with... Um, what I had played of the one dungeon, I will say. Yeah. Now, for those of you that have maybe only ever played Breath of the Wild, those of you that are listening, um, what we typically consider a dungeon in a Zelda game is like this kind of confined area that is filled with puzzles and a lot of different rooms in like some kind of interconnecting manner. Um, it's kind of hard to explain much further what a dungeon is because that definition also gets like a little laid back and loose depending on who you are and what game you're currently playing but they have been a staple of zelda games since the very first game like um back in the first game they were technically called levels according to the um localization of the game itself but we consider them dungeons now where they're just really tight interconnected areas and then one of the other things that always comes out of a dungeon is you get either an item that expands Link's capabilities, um, whether it be like one of our favorites is claw shots where you're able to like use the item and it will connect to something and either drag you to it. Like if you hit a target, you'll go to the target and then you can move from there or it can grab an item and bring it to you. Um, those types of items, we kind of call them dungeon items. And uh, those are also a staple of clearing a dungeon in uh, the previous games. Now, um, one of the other items is the boomerang, and that boomerang has kind of made a return in Tears of the Kingdom as an equipable weapon, but it's definitely not the same thing. Um, so anyway, that's kind of the definition of a dungeon, and Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom don't really follow that traditional structure. What do they do instead, Jordan? <laughs> yeah, so they mostly focus on get to these four or five points. Um and just activate those four or five points to unlock like the main boss in a way. And the main boss is always in like the central room where you kind of start um, or adjacent to the central room where you started. Uh, so Tears of the Kingdom did change things up a little bit where they have like, I'm assuming I'm making assumptions because I've only played through one dungeon, but considering how like, <sighs> Even though I just played through the one dungeon, it feels like I've already played through all four dungeons. I'll, I'll be honest, because <laughs> you can already tell like every one of these dungeons is going to have like the same formula where you just go in. You start at like one spot and you go through a sub linear path up to what they then call the temple or whatever what it is. And that sub linear path, I'm assuming, is going to have a different mechanic tied to each of them. Uh, there was a different mechanic or there was a mechanic that was so far up to this point in the game unique to that area um i won't spoil what it was or anything but it made like traversing through that area different am i correct in that david 
Um, yes, um, that that that's pretty much what it is. I will say there's like one um, particular dungeon that is much more of solving puzzles to get there rather than a really long traversal sequence. But yes, the dungeons all kind of follow that pattern of some sort of really interesting way to get to the dungeon. And then the dungeon is basically the same type yeah, of formula it's a it's a big open room. It says find the four switches and <laughs> all four switches and tears of the kingdom uh, do not interact with each other at all. They are their own separate puzzles isolated from each other. It feels like um, at least the one dungeon I played. <laughs> You're but, not wrong. <laughs> They're all very isolated and you can technically do them in any order that you want. But for some of the dungeons, some of them feel a little bit more. You do this one first. Just with how you solve the puzzles. Yeah. I will give some credit to Breath of the Wild. Uh, Breath of the Wild also had uh, five like points where you just have to get to to activate them or whatever, the five switches. Um, but there yeah, was <laughs> a central puzzle that uh, kind of like tied them all together in a way, right? There's right. nothing that like ties you... these switches together in Tears of the Kingdom. Right. Like Varudania, the giant elephant, you know, you had to adjust the water spout that would change the internals of the dungeon. By like putting out fires or rotating a platform or something like that. When it came to um, Varuda or did did I say Varudanya? I meant Varuda. Um, I guess I, I forget their names sometimes. I know they're named after old sages from the old games. But anyway, the giant elephant one was like that, and the other um, divine beast slash dungeons followed basically the same pattern. You're right, and I I think what you're trying to get at here is like Tears of the Kingdom at least like. They're not all um, the same divine beast, but they don't all have kind of that central mechanic that changes the entirety of the dungeon like Breath of the Wild did. Right. Right. I'm going to later on, I'm going to talk about how like I feel like a central piece of a lot of dungeons in Zelda's past had like a central puzzle element to them, at least like a lot of the good ones. um, Yeah. Where like activating like the puzzle or whatever changes how you traverse through previous rooms that you've already been through and all that stuff. Right. Um, and Breath or of the like cross pathing and stuff. Like right. Going back into other rooms constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And Breath of the Wild tempted that. Um, there's not a lot of like connective tissue between the actual points of interest. Um, the, the switches or whatever. Right. Uh, aside from that. But Tears of the Kingdom is they're completely isolated. It, it's basically <laughs> it's literally four shrines just duct taped together. <laughs> whereas yeah, i mean i agree <laughs> whereas the divine beast was one mega shrine yeah <laughs> i mean i think that that is the fairest way to put it which is interesting to me because i've listened to a couple of other people talk about these dungeons and how impressed they are with them and they're like they're the coolest thing ever and they're amazing and i will say like the one real thing that these dungeons have going for them are the final bosses the bosses in these dungeons are way more interesting, exciting, and fun to fight than any of the blights were in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I will They're say I really awesome. like Thunderblight. Yeah, um, Thunderblight was cool. Thunderblight was like the one that kind of broke the pattern. Uh, but I, I think one of the reasons why these bosses are also a bit more fun than the blights is that they're not just all blights, right? They're <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're unique monsters. They're, yeah, unique monsters that... All of them pay homage to past Zelda enemies, which is amazing. So they're very cool. And I don't want to rag too much on these dungeons. I do really enjoy the the build up to the dungeon. So like that, yes. that sublinear path that you were traversing through to get to the temple. Um, I thought that was a lot of fun. I really did enjoy that. Um, it does break kind of the mold from the rest of the Breath of the Wild and still feels Breath of the Wild E. It's just that <laughs> once you get to the temple proper, um, I got a bit disappointed. Yeah. If you only look at the temple, while the theming is cool and I think the locations are honestly pretty epic. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of substance inside once once you get to them. But yeah, I do agree. I think the paths to them are, are really, really fun. But and one of my other big issues with Breath of the Wild, and I'm assuming this is going to be the same problem with Tears of the Kingdom once I get to the second dungeon is the like the environment the way like everything kind of like looks or whatever is the same <laughs> like yeah. the internals of every single divine beast has the same like aesthetic appeal right it's it's just the same aesthetics over and over again copy and pasted 
<laughs> um, and I, I really do miss like the heavy themings of aesthetics in each of the temples in previous games. I can agree with that. I will say Tears of the Kingdom does a better job with that for sure than Breath of the Wild did. But right. I don't know. I don't know but if I want to go too deep into that. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to assume like I don't actually know, but I'm just going to assume that in Tears of the Kingdom, uh, it's going to be just the, the same aesthetic look as all the sky islands so far but this time with uh the additional of the elements that they're tied in so like zoro has like water and then <laughs> goron has fire and all that stuff in addition to it all i don't know yet well we'll see but yeah I'll, we can talk about that a little bit more fully when we do our full review that we really open the floodgates for spoilers but since I have beaten them, would you like me to give you my ranking of the four dungeons? Sure. Okay, so coming in at last place is the Zora dungeon. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but it was, it was not very exciting. Um, after the Zora dungeon, um, I believe that I did the, uh, the Rito dungeon, though I thought the Rito dungeon was really cool. Uh, I just, the other two dungeons were better. Then goes the Goron dungeon because its mechanics are very fun. You'll, you'll really enjoy that one once you get to it. And then finally, the Gerudo dungeon is my favorite in the game. So that, that's my ranking. I'm not trying to poison yours or anything, <laughs> but you kind of picked, at least from what I understand, you've played the Zoro one, right? Yeah, I played the Zoro one. <laughs> picked my least favorite first. <laughs> uh, funnily enough, um, if I were to think back on Breath of the Wild, I think that's the same order I would do the Divine Beasts in. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty good order. I I feel so bad because Mifa is my favorite champion, but her dungeon was not very interesting. No, yeah, that one was. Looking back, I think that is the weakest of the Divine Beasts. Yeah, I also feel like the Zora one was supposed to be the first one in Breath of the Wild, and then the Rito is supposed to be the first one in Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom. I think so. Um, though I definitely did the Rito first in both games. <laughs> so. So I think we've kind of talked about some of the pieces of why we feel like the Tears of the Kingdom dungeons are a little off. I think now we could talk about some of our favorite dungeons and what they really bring to the table and what have helped define dungeons for the majority of the series. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, let's, let's talk about some of them, like an unordered list of just some of our favorite dungeons. Um, I think <laughs> whenever you talk about like the best dungeon designs in Zelda history, I think the fan favorite is Arbor's Grounds from <laughs> Twilight Princess. It's really good. That's the one where if you haven't or if you don't remember Twilight Princess, um, it's the one in the Gerudo area. Man, Gerudo's the Gerudo area is just always the best place for dungeons, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> um. But that's the one where you get the spinning device. Uh, it's kind of the replacement for their uh, shadow temple effectively for that game. Um, a lot. It has a lot of stuff with like ghosts and the undead and all that. Um, and it's where they imprisoned Ganondorf. Um, and the reason why it's like one of the beloved dungeons is just because it has like a really good pace to it where you enter in, you uh, are then treated with like you have to go find the four pose or whatever. To unlock the central yeah. area, which requires which a bunch is cool, of like, because that's a callback to Ocarina of Time's Forest Temple. Yeah. By the way, anyway, keep going. Yeah, and so you have to go to those four switches. Effectively, it, it's basically a Tears of the Kingdom dungeon <laughs> inside of a, a bigger dungeon, right? <laughs> right, um, but that's not even the first half of the dungeon. It's <laughs> not even. It's not quite a half of it. You know, there's still more after it. Right. So. The main reason everyone likes it is because of the spinning device. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> and it's like the only place in the game where the spinning device is actually utilized to its fullest, unfortunately. Yeah. So you're traversing through this dungeon this for like a good hour or so. And the whole time you're seeing like these tracks and rails and everything just everywhere. And you're like, what on earth <laughs> are all these like mechanical <laughs> devices for? And then you get like the most bizarre Zelda item of all time. <laughs> Where it's just a spinning top that you stand on. <laughs> that has gears, like a gear cog on it. <laughs> Turning it's Zelda amazing. into a Tony Hawk game. <laughs> uh, it's such a cool item, though. And it just works so well to tie in the themes of the, the dungeon. Because it also is impervious to the uh, sinking sand. So you can use it to cross short distances without even connecting to the rails. But then you ride on the rails and you can do like cool jumps and... 
oh, it's so it's so cool. And then, of course, because it is a gear, um, you can go inside like these mechanical things and then mash the A button to spin the gear faster and faster to cause certain things to activate. Like a room will start spinning around or you'll start bringing up this gigantic rail that circles around you to take you to the very top of the dungeon. It's so cool and it works so well. Yeah. And then it it's topped off with one of the most cinematic bosses in Zelda history. Oh, uh, yeah. With the giant Stal Lord um, where you have to ride around on your top through the undead to like break his back and then chase him uh, basically in a rail shooter, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, so good. So, I, so good. if I were to shorten it down to why it's so loved, um, one, the aesthetics are really appealing. Uh, it's kind of got this creepy vibe with like all the undead and all that stuff to um, the main item in the for the dungeon is very unique people were not expecting <laughs> what <laughs> what it could be but until they got it uh and then it like gave you new traversal opportunities and also allowed backtracking um through previous rooms just so much more interesting um doubling down on like or doubling the value of the previous rooms and all that stuff uh yep. so there's some backtracking and all that and then of course the boss is great yeah, no, it's absolutely phenomenal. It's it's a prime example of a really good dungeon. And the nice thing is, is that it's the first dungeon of like the second half of the game. It's not really half, of course, because Zelda games are definitely back heavy in most cases, uh, just based on exploration and things that you can do. But it's like after a certain point in the story and it's like the first dungeon that you get and it's just eons better than the first three dungeons though the first three dungeons in the game are not bad of course this one is just on another level it it's really cool plus the end of the dungeon ends up becoming like one of the hubs for um like the end game you go back there which is super cool they don't normally do that in uh dungeons so yeah Yeah. I, i really appreciate arbiter's grounds and how powerful it is um another one that both of us actually really appreciate and enjoy and honestly, might be our number one if we really had to rank these. But again, this is in no particular order is Stone Tower Temple from Majora's Mask. Yeah. And this dungeon is just incredible. Um, I would say Majora's Mask is one of the few or the lowest played Zelda games out there. I when I talk to people that have played Zelda games, they rarely have played Majora's Mask, but they've played Ocarina of Time or Wind Waker or Twilight Princess. Majora's Mask is the game that like the the Zelda community seems to like love the most. It's like <laughs> the prized <laughs> child, but yeah. outside the Zelda community, it's definitely like kind of the black sheep, the, like the, the not well-known <laughs> one. Um, well, it is stressful and intense because it has the constantly ticking clock and you only have three days or three in-game days to get things done. And it tackles a lot darker themes. So it's not really like it's advertised for everyone. Like most of the other Zelda games are. Yeah, so that that might have something to do with it. Yeah. And also Majora's Mask. Um, I it's my personal favorite Zelda game. Um, but Mine usually too. when people talk about how great Majora's Mask is, um, dungeons are typically at the bottom of the list. <laughs> but <laughs> like, let's be For real. Why they like it. People <laughs> like the, the masks, uh, the ability to transform into the other races um, and the story, the writing, the characters, the side quests the overworld, all that stuff, and, like, the time mechanics. And then when you get to the dungeons, they're like, oh, well, they were okay, I guess. <laughs> um, with the one exception yeah. being Stone Tower. Stone right. Tower is kind of, like, where it all comes together. Um, it focuses heavily on utilizing all four of, yes. of the races. Uh, all, so all your abilities. It kind, it's, even though it's not actually... Well, I guess it kind of is the final dungeon, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you have the moon, but the moon is like only four challenges, really. So it, I, I wouldn't yeah. really call the moon a dungeon. It's just an ending sequence. So it's kind of the final dungeon. Um, it, it, it's also the one that gives you like the mirror shield. So, uh, well, I guess you kind of get the mirror shield right before entering the dungeon. But that's also a fan favorite item and all that stuff. Um, a lot of mm-hmm. puzzles around it. A really puzzly dungeon. Um, with a lot of like bosses that has like there's so many like big encounter mini bosses in that dungeon. Yeah. I can't remember how many there were, but I know there's at least three. Um, yep. 
especially if you want like the mask that makes it easy to beat the the boss of the dungeon. Yeah. Like you can skip that one, but it's still cool. <laughs> but I think the main reason why I really like this dungeon is because it has a central mechanic that that deeply affects not only the traversal of the dungeon but also how puzzles interact with it and that mm-hmm. is you can exit the dungeon and then flip the dungeon upside down or right side back up it's incredible and the first time that you do it and watch the cutscene, it's just like oh so i'm only halfway done because you <laughs> then go back through like the same rooms basically there are a couple of new ones that you can only access when it's upside down of course but you go back through them and it's like a whole new dungeon and you have to remember like oh yeah that's why there was a switch on the ceiling or i need to now interact with this and oh i can't go through this door because it's on the ceiling now so i got to go through another room and it's just so clever how it works just phenomenal plus one of the funnest things about that dungeon is that's the dungeon you go to after you get elegy of emptiness for your ocarina song that makes super creepy terrifying statues of each of link's <laughs> abilities <laughs> so yeah and that that spawned good old creepy pastas like ben drowned and uh <laughs> they're terrifying if you haven't seen the original n64 versions of those like go look them up but then also look at how much worse and creepier they made them for the 3ds remake it's I can't believe they made him worse <laughs> anyway. Um, I, I love that dungeon so much. Yeah. And then one other thing with Stone Tower is I really love the music for Stone Tower. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite Zelda songs. Uh, and I didn't bring this up when we were criticizing the Tears of the Kingdom dungeons and also Breath of the Wild. But those dungeons <laughs> don't really have recognizable music, I guess I should say. Yeah. The the Divine Beasts are very like kind of ethereal and sad piano stuff which i like i think it's good but it's definitely not memorable like most other dungeons in the series and honestly i wasn't paying attention to the music in tears of the kingdoms dungeons so i might need to go play those again so that i can even tell if there was different music for all of them (laughs) yeah to be fair breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom are not as musically focused as previous zelda games are maybe that's gonna be a topic for another podcast um that's right, well, one of my well let's write that down because i could talk about music in the zelda series all day long <laughs> all right yeah <laughs> we're going to get known as like the people who complain about the breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom games <laughs> but we love them and give them perfect tens so like that's <laughs> fine uh but anyway you're right going back to stone tower the music is phenomenal and the music is the same melody when you flip it upside down but it adds in all of these super creepy, ethereal, mysterious sound effects and instrumentation when it's flipped upside down. That wasn't there before. Where when it was right side up, it was just like kind of this chanting um, sounds. And then you flip it upside down and that chanting is there, but it's a little bit quieter and you've got these weird sounds happening. And it's just so good. That was one of the first Zelda songs I learned to play on the piano. Because <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah. There's some really good remixes on YouTube as well for it. Oh, yeah. So good. But yeah, again, what makes that dungeon so good? Really awesome theming. The fact that you get to use all of your abilities to the fullest and you traverse the dungeon in unique and interesting ways when you flip it upside down. Yeah, there's a central like puzzle mechanic to it, which to Breath of the Wild's like to be fair to Breath of the Wild. uh, They did attempt that with Breath of the Wild. Um, it's just that I think Stone Tower did a lot better than (laughs) the Divine Beast did. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of central mechanics (laughs) to a dungeon, another one that we have on our list that is honestly one of my personal favorites and highlights of Ocarina of Time, and it's the Forest Temple. And speaking of good music, you know, the Ancient Cistern's good, but I also just love the Forest Temple's song. It is really repetitive, but it is so creepy and so interesting and has this like looping back in on itself and it's amazing but that whole dungeon is very focused around a central room where when you first walk into the dungeon after clearing the entryway and then the first hallway you're greeted with a cutscene of four poes yes if you're playing tears of the kingdom poes return but not as enemies um <laughs> these are the original poes okay um and they're dancing around these torches in the center that are all lit with different colors of fire and they grab those lights, the the fire, and then they disappear and go off into other parts of the dungeon. And this elevator 
goes down so that you cannot enter it to enter the far depths of the dungeon where the final boss is waiting. And so your whole goal for the dungeon is to start traversing through it, finding your way through puzzles to find those Poe sisters to defeat them and get their flame back to that central room. And it's so cool and it's amazing. And once again, kind of like Arbiter's Grounds, it's the first dungeon after the first main checkmark of the game that you're introduced to. And it's amazing. Um, plus it also has the mechanic of rotating rooms. So it even has like little miniature versions of the stone tower temple where you can kind of twist rooms around and stuff. And it, it's phenomenal. I love that dungeon. Yeah. Uh, whenever I think of forest temple, I also think of keys a lot. Oh <laughs> that, yeah. That dungeon had so many <laughs> locked rooms, um, which I was kind of surprised there aren't. <sighs> so the one dungeon I played in series of the kingdom, there was no keys or locks at all. Um, which I was kind of surprised about because there was an earlier shrine in the game that had a locked door and a key. So I thought like yep. they added in that mechanic <laughs> specifically for the dungeons. Well, Breath of the Wild also had locked keys okay. and doors as well. So, but yeah, I, I also thought that they were going to bring those back in that dungeon as well. I won't spoil the other ones yeah. by saying either way. So like uh, Forest Temple, you can unlock. Do- you, it's not like a linear that as soon as you get this key, then there's only one door that you can unlock that key there are multiple paths or whatever you can go and you don't you don't ever get soft lock because there's usually other keys on those paths that you unlock so then you can go back to the other paths or whatever right but it kind of like gives you a choose your own adventure element to it that is missing in the current games right plus some of the doors that are locked you open them by shooting arrows in particular places or by activating something in another place in the dungeon which also makes it more interesting, like, oh, how do I actually open that door? And you have to think and use your abilities and items at your disposal, which is kind of a theme in the Ocarina of Time dungeons. <laughs> there are a lot of locked doors in Ocarina yeah. of Time in general, and you open them either with keys or by using some of your dungeon items. Yeah, and I like keys. I wish keys would return in a major way. <laughs> yeah, same. Again, they have been a staple since the first game. The first game also has a lot of locked doors. <laughs> So, oh man, speaking of keys in uh <laughs> in Ocarina of Time, remember the uh the Gerda training grounds? Oh, yeah, <laughs> well, you can definitely say Ocarina of Time really loved its keys. <laughs> yeah, I think you need what like 15 keys or something to get through to the ice arrows. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Gerda training grounds for those who don't know, it was a series of like challenges or whatever. And throughout the dungeon, there's a bunch of hidden chests with keys, and then in the central room. There's just a long corridor of just door after door after door after door with uh, locked <laughs> that are locked. Yeah. Now, to be fair to that dungeon, it isn't completely optional dungeon. You don't need to enter it at all, but it's still really fun and a good challenge. It has a lot of gold skulltulas in it as well. And you get the ice arrows, which is a whole slot in your inventory. So if you're going for 100 percent completion, you need it. Yeah. Yeah. Now that That's also like a really kind of fun dungeon, but it's not one of the main dungeons. So I guess it's kind of excluded from this list. Yeah. But we also have other dungeons from Ocarina of Time on this list. Right, Jordan? Yeah. I mean, Ocarina of Time had a lot of dungeons, so it would make sense that. <laughs> <laughs> as How many did it on, have? On nine? List. It had nine, right? Uh, If you. Yes. So you had plus the, the kind of minier dungeons that you need to clear as well. So the three to get the I main believe it's five. Stones. So you have five, and then the three, and then uh, the final castle. You have you get seven. Were there seven or six sages? There were six sages, I believe. So the the post master sword dungeons are forest temple, fire temple, water temple, shadow temple, spirit temple. So that's five. Yeah. And then you had the three young link dungeons, and then you had the. Ganon's castle for the ninth dungeon. Right. But then you also had the kind of minier dungeons that are still required, like the frozen caverns and under the well. Mm-hmm. Those are also kind of required mini dungeons. So Ocarina of Time had a lot of good dungeons. But anyway, which one are we bringing up now? Oh, Shadow Temple, um, which is on here pretty much exclusively because of its aesthetics. Yeah. <laughs> it scared me when I was little. <laughs> yeah um this one is kind of like this torturous like execution area i i think story-wise it's where they like took the oh i'm forgetting what they're called the interlopers yeah the interlopers or or Um, like the the 
um, the dissenters from the Sheikah tribe that went against the king, I think, in the pre-Ocarina of Time yeah. war. So there's been a bit of like story before Ocarina of Time where um, some Sheikah had come to know about the Triforce and dissented from the Sheikah tribe to try and like take the Triforce from Hyrule. And they lost the war. And um, those who had lost were either executed in the Shadow Temple or the, th- the other theory is that they were um, sent to the Twilight Realm in uh, the Gerudo area. Um, and like there's a lot of theories that the like the main interlopers or dissenters were both Sheikah and Gerudo. And so that's why those two were the two tribes that uh, took care of the interlopers afterwards after the war. Yeah. But again, that's kind of like more theory based and it's not super evident in any of the direct storytelling of either of any of the games. In the right. Series. And I don't think Nintendo will ever <laughs> confirm it because it yeah. is dark. It, <laughs> <laughs> the Shadow Temple is very dark. The walls are made of skulls. <laughs> There's blood There's on the blood floor. There's blood on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> there are like literal. Um, what are they called? Um, guillotines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that are in your way. Like, oh, it, it sure is something. Plus, you've also got Redeads everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Undead Temple, um, which was a classic theme through a lot of the Zelda games. Um, and I think it hit the Undead theme the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> the a little series. bit. Um, I, don't, I don't think Zelda will ever get quite that dark again. Probably not. <laughs> I can't think of anything after that that's been nearly as dark. Arbiter's Grounds has some of that, but like that from the beginning, you know, is a prison and was where Ganon was sealed. So, but yeah, anyway, the aesthetics are amazing. It's kind of linear. I would say there is some backtracking and doubling through some of the different rooms, um, but it's very much puzzle focused and combat focused. I would think. Yeah, there are a lot of things to fight. There's a lot of invisible stuff with the Eye of Truth, so there's a lot more like combing around, like looking for things. Um, yeah. Kind of a puzzling mechanic to it. Um, once you know where the <laughs> invisible things are, though, I guess it takes away a lot of the dungeon. Um, <laughs> yeah, replaying it, you're like, oh, I already know there's a chest there. Yeah, you, you can completely beat the dungeon without going in the well and getting the Eye of Truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is a little tricky, you know, like you gotta make sure you line up, but they do have collision, so there's that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a really good dungeon, and I think it has a really interesting boss that was kind of reused in um, Wind Waker <laughs> in a way. You get the Bongo Bongo fight where you shoot his hands and his eye with arrows to stun him, and then you're able to deal a final blow. But what's cool about it is that you fight it while on top of a gigantic drum. So every time the hand beats on the drum, Link bounces up for a little bit which makes it a little bit more challenging unless you have the hover boots on the whole yeah. time. Yeah, and since you kind of need to shoot him with your bow, uh, the drumming like inter- uh, interacts with that. I think it's a really well-designed boss for yeah. uh, such an early stage in 3D design. I agree. I totally agree. Plus, if you fall off of the bongos, you start taking poison damage, <laughs> which, is, which is great. But and he's invisible, so you also need to attack him with the Eye of Truth or be really good at listening to where he is and guessing. <laughs> yeah, so it, it utilizes like the main items pretty well of that dungeon. Because um, if you use the hover yeah. boots on the drum, then you can kind of stay stable a bit easier to shoot your bow. Yeah, and then you use the Eye of Truth from the well that you got earlier in the dungeon that you kind of needed in order to complete the dungeon. Yeah, so a lot of the early Zelda games, not only did they have like a dungeon item, but they also had like a pre-dungeon item that you had to collect to um, get into the dungeon in a way. Yeah. So I, I always like view the Eye of Truth as one of the dungeon items. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it's directly temple. related to that sequence, even though it is then very useful in later dungeons. Like the next dungeon on our list, right? The Spirit Temple from Ocarina of Time. Again, that's a lot of Ocarina of Time dungeons on this like kind of list that we have. But it it's... Also, just such a really good dungeon, especially, I think, because it combines Young Link and Adult Link, and none of the other dungeons do that. Yeah. I mean, in a way, the Shadow Temple kind of does, because if you include the, the well as part of it. Yeah. But that's more like two isolated experiences, right? Right. And in a way, uh, I think the reason why they kind of did it with um, the Spirit Temple is because 
you had a connection to the first three dungeons as a kid already with the pre Master Sword um, dungeons, right? So yeah, they needed to have like something that also kind of ties Young Link to the later two dungeons, and that's what the well is, and also the first half of the Spirit Temple. Good point. Um, so that way you kind of interact with every single dungeon in both forms as Link. Um, it's just that there was less time, I guess, with Spirit Temple where they kind of just have you do it all at once. <laughs> well, we also needed to see Naburu get kidnapped by Twin Rova and then forced to be a Stalfos for seven years. Right. So <laughs> because every single sage is a character that you meet as young Link. Um, yep. And then it, it, you create some sort of like connection to them and then they become a sage later on when you become an adult. Yeah. And Noboru you meet in the dungeon, which is really interesting rather than before the dungeon. Anyway, she's cool. Noboru is really cool. I like yeah. her as a sage. I just really like the, the aesthetic feels of Spirit Temple, which is going to be kind yeah. of like a big um, reason for I like dungeons and why I'm kind of disappointed with the current state of dungeons is that yeah. the aesthetics are just one. They're like they're diverse uh, going from dungeon to dungeon, like the spirit temple and the shadow temple are wildly different. Like they are, <laughs> they don't look anything alike. <laughs> no, the spirit temple takes place in like the gigantic Colossus, a huge statue of like the goddess or one of the ancient Gerudos that, you know, the tribe revered and loved and whatnot. And, uh, it's so different. And its whole shtick and main mechanic has to do with light, which is really cool. You get the mirror shield and you have to line up light in particular ways to activate switches and, you know, do all sorts of really cool things. And I, I always thought that that was one of the strongest parts of the dungeon was how the light interacted with everything. And you had these gigantic mirrors and your mirror shield. There were good bosses. And the fact that it was a very symmetric dungeon, like... There are the same amount of rooms on either side of the main room, and it, it just looked really pretty and nicely well designed for me. Plus, that's where you really get to fight um, Armoses. Or not Armoses. What are they called? Iron Knuckles. Uh, Dark Nuts. Game. Dark Nuts and Iron Knuckles. That's what they are. Uh, yeah, it's just so. Iron Knuckles and Ocarina. Uh, that's Dark, right. Dark Nuts, for whatever reason, are considered a different enemy. <laughs> yeah, and they show... Because Dark Nuts are in Twilight Princess, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I believe they're also in Wind Waker. I think both are in Wind Waker. I could be wrong. Yeah. The Iron Knuckle is definitely the boss of the Spirit Temple, but uh, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know what makes them different. Um, I am kind of surprised that neither of these have shown up in Breath of the Wild or up to this point. <laughs> in Tears of the Kingdom. It's hard to like say because like, I haven't beaten Tears of the Kingdom yet, so maybe they will show up, but I feel like I've seen <laughs> all the enemies so far. I don't know. Hey, at least they brought back Gleox, right? Yeah, Gleox. Now they can sweet. bring back Iron Knuckles <laughs> and uh, yeah. Dark Nuts. <laughs> Iron Knuckles and Dark Nuts, I guess, are the next big one that I want to return. Yeah. Well, they, to me, they're kind of a staple of 3D Zelda because they're in Ocarina of Time. They're in Somewhat, I think Majora's Mask. They're in Wind Waker, but we're not here to talk about enemies, Jordan. No, that's... that could be a whole nother episode. <laughs> we're going to milk enemies Zelda. and bosses. <laughs> we're going to milk this franchise, this new game. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Spirit Temple is really great, really solid boss, really great enemies, and really great aesthetics and design. It's really good. But now, Jordan, I want you to tell me about your favorite starter dungeon. Oh man, so. Wind Waker has my favorite starter dungeon of all time. It is Forsaken Fortress. Um, I really love it because it's it breaks the mold of previous Zelda games where you don't have a sword for the majority of it. Um, so you have to go with like a lot of stealth mechanics. And that's because like they added crawling and stuff to Wind Waker um, and they focus on like different aspects of the, the of being a tutorial than previous games, whereas previous games more focused on combat they teach you combat before you get to the dungeon this time. Um, and then they take it away from you. And then you take it away from you and force <laughs> you to kind of like crawl around. And every time the enemies find you, they throw you back to the starting location effectively. And so <laughs> if you want to make it easier, you can go turn off the lights, but you actually don't really need to do that. Yeah, you can hit the cycles just right yeah. if you're good. <laughs> um, but it's also fun because you find like wooden sticks. And it was kind of the first Zelda game that made the wooden sticks be a pick upable item that you could fight things with. Like, yeah, you had Deku sticks in Ocarina of Time, but 
those never really felt to me like actual weapons. And in Forsaken Fortress, you have to find them if you're going to fight the little um, bokoblins. Well, right? it's not just sticks. It's the weapons of the enemies, which uh, yeah. was like a fan favorite thing that Wind Waker did that didn't return again till Breath of the Wild. Right. Right. Because every enemy in that game, well, not every enemy, but most of them do. Like you can grab the... Um, the dark nut swords you can grab the moblin weapons yeah you're right i had forgotten that that was like one of the main things about the game yeah so forsaken fortress kind of like forced you to be a bit more resourceful and sneaky which is a lot of fun and i still i also consider the return to forsaken fortress as technically the second half of that dungeon where it's a revenge quest where you just get to run through with a sword <laughs> and just tear everything apart right <laughs> the spotlights no longer stop you the enemy is fight you now because like oh my gosh you have the master sword now <laughs> this is this is big <laughs> it's pretty awesome so um this one is vastly different than other zelda dungeons um i also think it's one that could show up easier in breath of the wild and all that stuff we already have things like proving grounds and stuff and having an entire yeah. dungeon around a proving grounds would be pretty interesting i think that'd be really cool oh that'd be so cool <laughs> come on nintendo bring it back like <laughs> I think we talk about this sometimes with Nintendo games. It's like, why don't they ever look back at some of the older stuff that they've done and try to find a modern version of that? Like Pikmin 3, right? They got rid of dungeons and it's like, but that was a fan favorite thing from Pikmin 2. And now they're kind of bringing it back for Pikmin uh, 4. But then you also have the Paper Mario series where you're like, why are these new Paper Mario games not great? You made two amazing ones. Go back to those. And sometimes I feel like the same thing could be said about Zelda, even though we are definitely giving Tears of the Kingdom a 10 out of 10. It's like, please just go back and also look at what made people love Zelda in the first place, too, so that both sides of the fandom can be happy. Because I know that Breath of the Wild really split the fandom in half based off of those that really liked the new direction that the series was going and those that thought that, oh, you know, this kind of open style gameplay that's missing all of the dungeons and the puzzles and items and stuff from the previous series. Yeah, that that's not what I signed up for as a fan. So I don't know. I think that they really could merge it together even better than Tears of the Kingdom has. And it ran yeah, I, I feel like they could definitely fix dungeons in uh, the new form of Zelda. I feel like this is kind of just a growing pain thing. Um, yeah. Where they 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 changed the core gameplay loop drastically and the way they changed it works so well for the overworld um areas and all and all that so like exploration is phenomenal now it's one of the best things in zelda period uh just the the new games their exploration is phenomenal uh they also opened up the mechanics by giving you all these like sandboxy things you can do at any point that allow you to just break the game which is really good in traversing areas the problem is those mechanics kind of break linear dungeon design right yeah and i feel like that's kind of been a consequence is that they haven't quite figured out how to make it so that dungeons feel like they're open like the theming with the rest of the game where you can do whatever you want and break anything you want um and still like make it dungeony right yeah it's so hard to figure out how to solve that problem it really is because there are just so many pieces to what make these dungeons so good. And we have touched on quite a few of them. I mean, I don't know if we need to go over the rest of the dungeons that we kind of put on our list. Um, you know, we also had the Ancient Cistern from Skyward Sword. That is another fan favorite dungeon. Theming's amazing. It tells a story. It has a really interesting central room and it's the strongest dungeon in the entire game. Um, but then, of course, we've also got back to Twilight Princess, the Snow Peak Ruins, where that whole gimmick is you need to make soup to help the wife feel better. And City in the Sky is kind of the precursor to the Sky Islands from Tears of the Kingdom, where it's like, look at this really awesome ancient ruined city that has some of the most interesting puzzles in the game that are all time sensitive with cycles. Like, it's all super cool stuff, right? But then when it comes to how they can fix, uh, maybe not fix, but improve upon the design of dungeons, it's really difficult when you consider the open nature and sandbox world of Tears of the Kingdom. So. I think the correct answer is one that Nintendo doesn't want to admit, and that is dungeons probably need to be a break from the core design philosophy of uh, these new games, right? 
So I think so too. So when you enter into a dungeon, it's one where you have like these confined rooms that you need to then like unlock the doors to traverse and all that stuff. And you can't like just jump from like all the way across the map because you decided to fly there or something. Um, kind of compartmentalize everything. And then like the big the big thing I feel like they need to do with these new dungeons is make them feel unique. Like if you go back to previous Zelda games, every single Zelda game that, yeah, they would follow this formula of like, here's the fire dungeon, here's the forest dungeon, here's the water dungeon, all that, yada, yada, yada. But the reason why they did that is because it made them all feel like very, very vastly different from each other in a way. Yeah. Like we just said with, uh, with, um, Twilight Princess, Snow Peak Ruins, you're like trying to make soup to like access more to like the dungeon and stuff. That form of traversal is wildly different than the Arbiter's Grounds where you're playing Tony Hawk to get through certain <laughs> areas. <laughs> yeah. Or um, even another dungeon that is honestly one of my favorites, but not necessarily like the best dungeon, but like the Lanero Mining Facility or the uh, Sand Ship in Skyward Sword. The fact that you can change the state of the dungeon by activating time stones is also so cool. Um, like, again, it's just it all comes down to those super unique mechanics and those super unique locales and theming, like you were saying. And all of the strong dungeons in the series really nailed that. And I think that that is what's missing from Tears of the Kingdom. Again, I think that all four of those dungeons are really cool and epic and i was kind of blown away by some of them and really enjoyed them but it came down to the mechanics still led to those just hit the four switches or whatever to unlock something yeah they they were very formulaic and um were aesthetically similar to each other or at yeah. least the breath of the wild ones were <laughs> yeah. aesthetically similar to each other i haven't seen the tears of the kingdom ones yet <laughs> and i won't say either way what happens with those you need to experience them for yourself um but yeah, so boiling it down to very simple terms, what makes a good dungeon? I think we've kind of nailed it. It has to have interesting and unique puzzles, a very different and distinct design philosophy and aesthetic design. Probably has to have a banging soundtrack because I think every single one of these that we listed has a very memorable, sound, memorable soundtrack, some more than others, but still, that, that's really important. And then I honestly really think that unique and useful dungeon items is another key piece to these dungeons and now there are like some new champion abilities in um tears of the kingdom and i'm, I'm only calling them champion abilities i know they're not champions in this game i think they call them sages or whatever champions are from the previous game but it was kind of the same idea um and some people consider those to be the new dungeon items but i don't consider them full dungeon items simply because they are not required to do any of the other puzzles in the rest of the game, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think... So I've only played the Zora one, and it's not even required for any of the puzzles in that <laughs> dungeon. Yeah, you, you have to use it to hit the lock, right? Like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. So it's like, okay, I, I guess they kind of count as dungeon-like items, but they're definitely not on the same level. Yeah, they're not like a stretch. claw shot or uh, no. the spitting top from Arbor's Grounds. Or even like the other staples like the boomerang or even like the bow itself became so integral to Zelda design. And it is a dungeon item. It starts yeah. in a dungeon. The mirror shield. Yeah, the mirror shield. That That's awesome. I, I know. So as much as I like the new era of Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, there's still that old soul fan in me that loves the older Zelda games. It's just like, we need these dungeons back because they were the heart and soul of the series. Right? Yeah. I was, I, I, I pretty disappointed with what I played of tears of the Kingdom's dungeon. The one dungeon I played to the point where I just haven't gone to the other dungeons. <laughs> like, I'm like, uh, the rest of the game's just more fun, <laughs> which is crazy. Cause that was never, never the case of the previous Zelda game. Yeah, I love, even on my uh, replays, going to the Forest Temple is such a highlight for me in Ocarina of Time. I look forward to that all the time. Going to the Ancient Cisterns, a highlight of Skyward Sword. Forsaken Fortress, even if it's the beginning of the game, is a highlight. Like, I love all of that stuff. It's so good. But Tears of the Kingdom is like, oh, okay, these dungeons, while epic and awesome, and they're making a good step forward, just still aren't on par for me. 
as they were in the past. Yeah, they're still not. I will say, though, they are definitely better than Breath of the Wilds. Um, And I guess some people would say that Hyrule Castle in Breath of the Wild is also considered a dungeon. But again, it's not really a required thing. You can just run right to the top of it and just go fight the final boss just by entering the room. You don't have to do any of the rest of the castle. Yeah, I will say Hyrule Castle is really fun to explore in Breath of the Wild. Um, I wouldn't quite say it's a dungeon, though. (laughs) Yeah. I... I hate that I'm going to say this. I think I, I think I like the Divine Beast more than the Tears of the Kingdom dungeon. You've only played one though so far, <laughs> so you can't just make that definitive statement yet. So far though, but like the main thing is that there is like a central um, puzzle that like connects the the switches together at the very least, right? Yes, there is. So I like the the walk up. So like the the I'm I'm talking about the temple proper itself, like the the required walk up to the temple. Definitely better than Divine Beasts. One of the be- one one of my favorite parts so far, which is Kingdom. But when I got to the temple itself, the Water Temple, huge disappointment. I would say uh, the the Water Divine Beast was at least better than the Water Temple was. I could agree with that, honestly. I was really disappointed <laughs> with the Water Temple in Tears of the Kingdom, but that's okay. It's okay. The rest of the game is absolutely phenomenal and amazing. And I feel like we have to keep bringing up that caveat, Jordan, of like you said earlier, we're going to become the people that are known that just hate Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, but we don't. Yeah, it's just that Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom shifted their focus away from uh, dungeons, which is fine because I really like these games. I just wish that they could have improved in those areas while keeping good dungeon design as well. I agree. I totally agree. Dungeons are... It's not like dungeons have to be like the main focus. Like I said earlier, my favorite Zelda game is Majora's Mask. And I wouldn't say like aside from Stone Tower, I wouldn't say like the dungeons are really like the key reason for for why Majora's Mask is a fan favorite. Yeah, that goes back to like the interactions with the characters and getting the storytelling through the small events that happen in the world and the build up to the dungeons themselves, I think, are all really good. Kind of like how Tears of the Kingdom has buildups to the dungeons. Yeah. So I feel like Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom can definitely stand on their own without real good dungeons. It's just I really wish this is like this is like one of the very few areas I feel like they really need to nail for me to feel all gung ho. Like, yeah, sure. Let's consider this is the new direction of Zelda. And I guess I'll just we just won't see any of the traditional Zeldas appear again. Yeah. They say that the Ocarina of Time formula is restricting. And I agree. It was pretty linear and it got overused. And it made Skyward Sword, honestly, the most linear game in the entire series. And there's a reason why fans don't really like it as much as they did when it first came out. It's hard to replay it because there's not a lot to kind of change up your experience while playing it. But those dungeons were so integral and important that I think that they need to be excluded from the talk of the quote unquote Ocarina of Time formula. One way that I think that the Tears of the Kingdom Breath of the Wild era could do to fix it is just make it so that in dungeons you cannot use any of the Sheikah Slate slash arm abilities at all. And you can only use the items that are available to you so that they are can be really tightly designed around a central dungeon mechanic and they can't be easily broken apart by players with their abilities. I don't know if it has I to think, go quite that far because you could use uh, like the Ascend ability pretty well. Like imagine you have like if we had dungeon maps and dungeon compasses returned or whatever, and there's a puzzle where you're like, how do I get to this room or whatever? It's like completely locked off. And then if you like stare at the map and like realize that you're directly one floor below that um, room, then you could use the ascend ability to go up. <laughs> That's true. Though at that point, I think they would have to make unascendable materials in the dungeon <laughs> or something. Cause well, you just breaking the through all sorts so of high walls. that the ascend doesn't work. Right. Yeah, that's true, too. But then if you have like auto build or something, you just have those people that make the gigantic stacks oh. of logs that they <laughs> just lift up and then just shoot straight. through. Well, they can turn off <laughs> auto build. Auto builds turned off already in shrines. That's true. Um, and then for like the other uh, the, the fusibility for the swords, it doesn't matter. That's not going to break anything. That's fine. No, it's, it's, it's going to be ultra hand. And to deal with that, you just don't put devices everywhere. True. I guess they could pull that off, but I don't know. They they use so many devices and things in some of the Tears of the Kingdom's dungeons that it's like, yeah, they were definitely designed around this. Right. So, I don't know. I, I just I put that as like a restriction to make them think more about how they could go back to the tight dungeon design because I, I just miss it, you know? Yeah. 
And like, I would love to see these dungeons return. Um, I feel like they can break away from like the openness that is like the design philosophy for the rest of the game and have like just these few areas that act as like a break from all that. Yeah. Uh, just for like a short area where it's a more confined, restricted area where you have to do like a traditional dungeon. And it's not like it's the main focus of the game either. So it's it, w- it doesn't take away from like the openness because you still have 90 percent of the game being completely open out and about. Yeah. In the rest of the world. Yeah, that's a good point. <sighs> I don't know. It, it's hard to think about being a game designer when neither of us are trying to do it. Right. <laughs> but I think there are some definitive ways that they, they could potentially improve on this formula even further. Yeah. But honestly like moving away from dungeons though the one way that they could really make the next game amazing is to go to another new location please and thank you (laughs) that's all i'll say (laughs) i'm done with this hyrule as much as i love it and how interesting it is the next game better be somewhere new where everything is completely different just we'll we'll see if that happens (laughs) the thing is nintendo follows where the money goes and will do the least amount of work possible to get it right yeah though and uh Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild made a lot of money. So why, if if you're a, a business executive at Nintendo, why would you uh, allow a pitch for like a traditional Zelda game that sold traditionally between like five to ten ish million per uh, game, right? To now where like we're projecting like somewhere between twenty and thirty million for Tears of the Kingdom, and then we already got to thirty million with Breath of the Wild. Yeah, you're right. <sighs> Whatever. We can just hope and pray as fans, right? Yeah, and we could say all we like, like, oh, it's it's the Switch effect. Maybe a Tears or maybe a traditional Zelda would do a lot better on the Switch. Um, what did the HD remake for Skyward Sword do? Like, it it didn't get anywhere near Breath of the Wild numbers. And it's not like everyone who's bought uh, Breath of the Wild has played Skyward Sword. Only like what three million people bought it on the Wii, and now like maybe another three to five million on the Switch. So there's a lot I of mean, people who are playing Zelda now who just didn't didn't play Skyward Sword. Yeah, well, by November of 2021, which is just a few months after Skyward Sword came out, it did hit 3.6 million. Skyward Sword HD did. So it's not like it's bad. Right. But within like those few months, it matched the Wii sales. So, I mean, it's yeah, probably a little but bit. How many more of those are that, double but... dipping sales with people who bought it on the Wii? <laughs> I mean, me. So <laughs> probably quite a few. <laughs> yeah so there's probably like a good five million ish individual cells of um scoured sword right and then like people have like share copies and stuff so let, let's assume that maybe there's like seven eight ish eight let's say eight ish million people have played scoured sword whereas like probably close to 40 million have played breath of the wild so. <laughs> yeah. or have experienced breath of the wild vicariously through streamers you know like that number is probably even larger than the number that have actually played it so yeah yeah whatever so we are we are at a bit, a bit of a disadvantage in that um the, the the new formula is just objectively more popular and maybe yeah. maybe twilight princess hd uh, can like shake up some of those numbers. Maybe it'll hit 20 million uh, when it comes to the switch. Um, <laughs> if because <laughs> Tw- Twilight Princess is the best selling of the traditional Zelda games. That is true. And, and it's really it, good. Yeah. And it's remake came out on the Wii U, unfortunately. So like those numbers don't mean much. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it came with one of the best looking Zelda. Amiibo yeah. With so I, I am very interested that. to see if Twilight Princess HD gets ported to the switch. If it hits maybe like 10 million copies or something. Um, We'll see. I think Twilight Princess HD would be the barometer for how much demand there could be for a traditional Zelda game to return. Yeah. Yeah. In the meantime, I will continue enjoying Tears of the Kingdom because, again, we like the game. OK, <laughs> like, we really do. Um, but I will still go back and play some of the 3D Zeldas before Tears of the Kingdom came out. I actually made my way halfway through 100 percenting Ocarina of Time again just to remind myself what that felt like. And it was a really good time. If you have Nintendo Switch Online, go ahead and play those classic 3D games of Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. They're very fun. They still hold up. The emulation, of course, isn't perfect, but at least you could get a sense of these types of dungeons. And if you're really feeling brave, buy Skyward Sword HD so that you can see what those ones were like. Because there were some good dungeons there. It was just the game is not one of the strongest Zelda games. Skyward Sword is good. It's just the weakest of the 3D Zeldas. 
Um, yes. It, it, the best way I could say is that Skyward Sword is a 9 out of 10 in a series of 10 out of 10s. Yes, but if you play Skyward Sword, you will start to understand a lot more about how important the Master Sword is. Which, after yeah. some of what's happened in Breath of the Wild and Tears of the King without any spoilers, like, I, I'm grateful I played Skyward Sword. Skyward Sword's a lot more story-focused than most other Zelda games are. It is, for sure. Anyway, I think we've uh, talked off, talked about dungeons for quite a while, right? And I think we've come to the consensus that we would appreciate if this new formula direction that they're going could refine the dungeons a little bit better. But yeah, and I think we are pleased get there. with where They just need to kind of like restrict uh, the player a bit more. Um, yes. Have better aesthetics and better like themings and all that stuff and feel more unique. That's really all they need to do. Um, yeah, I agree. And provide more connective tissue between like the rooms and the individual puzzles and all that stuff. Just give me some locks and keys, Nintendo. That that makes the dungeons much easier to design and have an interesting path. Whatever. I'm not in charge anymore, and they're kind of moving into a new generation of developers there anyway. So who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll get a really strong comeback into the 3D dungeon design space in the next game. Yeah. But I don't know if it's the next game, but I could definitely see a point where like they're they're like once it gets marketable where they can uh, hit pretty hard on the nostalgia factor. For the traditional Zelda games, I think that's when we're returning. <laughs> I think that's a good prediction. But with that, I think I'm good. Are, are you good on this discussion? Yeah, I think good. we've hit it all. So cool. Well, on that note, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Nintendo Fusion podcast. We sure appreciate you. If you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to leave us a like, uh, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff so that the algorithm knows uh, and can help us out. Uh, feel free to join our Discord server by going to nintendfusion.com slash Discord. And then you can talk about Zelda and stuff with us and we'll have a fun time there. But with all that, thank you so much for listening again and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. See ya.